0: Welcome to Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite.
1: All right, everybody, we want to take a second to talk to you about an amazing sponsor. We have an amazing relationship with RayAllen.com. Ray Allen is a one-stop shop for everything dog, not just working dogs. Everything dog that you need, you can go down there, check them out, RayAllen.com. Awesome people. They got everything you need.
0: Another one of our favorite partnerships is with a Dogtree. They've been with us from the start. Uh, great callers, great ball poppers, great GPS tracking, big dog, small dog, bark callers, everything. I got everything like that they have at the kennel. We use it every day. Be sure to head them up, com. Listen to the discount code later in the episode. Hits 2023 is being held in Scottsdale, Arizona. I hear they have a, at the hotel, they have like this super high-end shopping outside. And I think you can go surfing in the desert, which I'm super looking forward to. Anyway, Scottsdale, Arizona, August 15th to the 18th. So hurry up and register now to save a spot and make sure you get a room. Take the guesswork out of making sure you're feeding your working dog correctly by using Kinetic Dog Food. Hit them up at kineticdogfood.com and look them up on the Instagrams at kineticdogfood. Take all the guesswork out and do it right from the beginning
1: we love horizon structures dude this stuff is so awesome man you can get online you can talk to them you could build it you want from mild to wild they'll come bring it to your place set it down on your pad hook up your power hook up your water and you can put dogs in it that day if you don't believe me check out some guys like uh, justin rigney's got a great setup there ask him check him out horizon all right everybody we are back Working Dog Radio, Broadcasting the Bite, another episode for you guys coming to you um, from basically Canton, Ohio. My name is Eric Stamber. With me as always is my co-host Ted Summers from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Ted, what is going on? Oh, man. It's a
0: uh, Tuesday? Yeah, it's Tuesday.
1: Um, just finished up
0: a class Friday at uh, the school, and I've got another one starting in about three weeks uh with six dogs and then about six weeks after that i got another one starting so we've been rocking and rolling getting dogs and i got my parking lot finished since we've done a live episode last time which is nice nice. so i've got concrete out front it's nice not parking gravel anymore um i'm doing a uh, patrol integration seminar which actually we'll probably talk some of that uh tonight with our guest uh next week for um McLean County Sheriff's Office here in Oklahoma. Um, there's other agencies who are going to be there. Cleveland County, um, several Obian will be there with Anthony, and uh, but it's focusing on not the dogs. It's focusing on everyone else that's there and the admins. So it's a one-day deal, and then right before that, I leave Sunday to go to uh, Minneapolis or well, Mankato, Minneapolis area to instruct the uh, USPCA thing up there uh, with those guys and Dan Cotton and the boys up there. So uh, I guess it snowed like a foot there today i don't know 70 degrees here Mm so um other than that you know training dogs to find stuff and bite people (laughs) what about you
1: yeah so last week it was a pretty good week i sold four dogs um two went to knox county tennessee they are i think i got 18 dogs or something like that well now they have 13 of my dogs there um 12 dual purpose and a one little a Springer single-purpose dog. Um, I get along with those guys real well. They come up. We always have a, a good time. We go to eat the same exact places. Both days are here. It's pretty traditional. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And then uh, our buddy Denny Jordan came up Thursday with another agency to test dogs. I had a couple dogs. They needed one. I knew they were going to take Fonzie because he's freaking damn near finished. Um, and I'm only doing green plus on him. He's killing it. Got him on two of the three dope odors he's got to be on. And it's taken me four days. Um, and then the other dog, Iggy, he's going to another department for their first dog. So, but here's something really weird, unrelated to dogs completely. So my, um, wife had gone down to visit our son in Texas. He lives down there outside of Dallas. Him and his girlfriend bought their first house. She went down there helping paint and everything. He had a bidet in the bathroom and it wasn't a separate bidet. It's uh, it's called Toto something or other. And it goes on to your existing toilet, right? It plugs in, it's hooked to the water. And she was saying how great this thing was. And he bought us one, right? Sent it to the house. And so she installed it like a week ago or so. I got to tell you, I didn't know that I needed one of those things until we got it. The heated toilet seat alone is worth it. It's a heated toilet seat dude and then all the other stuff is freaking awesome like i i actually really like it i didn't think i would i thought it would be really weird it is not it is actually pretty freaking awesome i don't know
0: that i could do a heated toilet seat the only thing i could think is somebody like i just think of a public restroom then and somebody was in there right before me
1: uh yeah somebody uh my daughter my <laughs> oldest daughter said the same thing but the funny thing is if you stay there for a while and get up you have red marks on the back of your legs it's warm water's warm it works it cleans it's crazy um but i looked up i'm like this is so good maybe i'll get these as a gift for somebody else you know it's like 400 bucks i'm like toilet paper it is for you suckers ain't getting anybody any one of them things but uh yeah it's it's a toto washlet or something like that it's if uh if they want to sponsor us uh, i'm a episode big huge of fan Talk um, radio brought to you by Toto
0: Washlet. yeah
1: buddy it's Bidet freaking great it's got a remote see. control Jesus and there's like Christ. all kinds of different you can there's a lot a lot of shit you can do so i don't understand the need to make every
0: device in your house smart like i don't want if i don't want my toilet to be smart i'm like
1: yeah, i'm pretty happy with the smart toilet i like i said i didn't think i would be <laughs> but uh, it's pretty good Jesus so Christ. anyways back to dogs what do we got going on tonight so tonight, it's uh, somebody
0: I've been asked like fifty times or more, a lot, if I know our guest, and I don't. And I te- I reached out to him on I don't know Facebook, I don't remember one of, the, one of the social media apps, and I was like, I don't know you, but I feel like I should. Um, he's part of a large uh, a large training um, group that everyone's going to know, uh, and he's the canine guy for that group. Um, so tonight we've got Josh Brainerd on uh, from Street Cop Training uh josh how are you i'm doing well how are you guys doing well so um give us a little bit of background a little bit of history and uh we'll kind of move forward from there and we do this with all guests so um you know we we'll have your uh like resume and stuff up on um the episode uh when this uploads but go ahead and kind of give us the rundown
2: yeah so with with canine i was Kind of born into it, born around, been around like the working military police dog uh, since I was a kid. I have family in it, and that kind of started me down the path of working in a kennel. I worked in, you know, one of the largest police military kennels in the world. Held a bunch of different jobs, did a lot of fun things, uh, enjoyed my time. But when you're kind of in that capacity, you never get to see the the end result. You know, it's always the the training of the dog, the upbringing, and I thought to myself, you know, this would be cool and started doing um, explosive detection contracts and got my feet a little bit wet handling dogs on that side of it and decided to take the plunge into law enforcement and got into that and basically the rest is history. Got a dog almost immediately, I, I got onto a good department that actually looked at my, my history of where I came from and, and used that in my favor and said, you know, that guy'd probably be all right to have a dog. And from there, hit the ground running, I'm assigned a special operations division where I get a, don't have to run calls or anything. I just run a dog.
1: So going back to when growing up and doing all the different jobs at that kennel, um, we're not going to say where it is. People can figure it out. Um, <laughs> what, what is the value do you see the value in starting picking shit up, cleaning kennels, doing all the grunt work?
2: Oh yeah. I mean that, you know, establishes character. I I think like it shows, you know, why you're there or, or what you're willing, willing to do. You know, I was, I was there and like, like anyone young, you almost feel entitled and you're like, well, you know, why do I have to do this? You know, like, why, why do I have to be the one to do that? But, you know, I worked hard and I did that for, you know, I probably not as long as a lot of guys had to that worked in that kennel. I got out of it really quick, but I like to attribute that to work ethic. But, you know, I, thankfully I got a lot of the other job opportunities. I was not a whole lot of people were um, screaming at the bit to get bit by the dogs um, or anything, like that, especially anything on the Ted program side and, or any of that work. And I volunteered for everything. I didn't say no to anything and it kind of moved me up pretty quick until you know, I got into like supervisor position.
1: So Ted and I both um, are small enough kennel wise that we end up doing like most of the kennel stuff ourselves. Um, so we're doing kennel, then we're doing the training and uh, he he's bigger than his kennel is bigger than mine. So he does have some help. Um, did you find the being the kennel person, like, did that help you learn dog behavior? Was it like. Trying not to get bit, did you learn what to watch for, how to avoid that type of stuff, or did that come more when you started training?
2: Uh, I learned what it felt like to get bit real quick. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I think uh those guys that work in the kennels just even at the basic level, you you learn so much in such a, a fast period of time. Like, you know, the kennel I was in, you could take anybody and there's four hundred dogs there, four hundred plus dogs sometimes, especially under the the contracts that were going on and I mean, that's a lot of different dog personalities and, you know, figuring things out and you start to learn, you know, who's food aggressive, what, what food aggressive looks like, uh, what, you know, certain dogs, like, is this dog backing in the corner because he's scared or is he backing in the corner to bait me in or, you know, you you figure it out pretty quick.
0: <laughs> um, I have one of those right now. <laughs> yeah, his name is Snoopy. Um Yeah. <laughs> i uh that kind of, it's a it's an interesting thing because that's one deal that uh we talk about a lot and i mean eric and i still clean kennels a lot and uh my guys take care of it now i still help pitch in but i tell guys all the time uh especially canine handlers and during schools that's the one thing that i'm constantly harping on them about um is paying attention to what the dog is doing not just when we're working but when we're not working so i tell them a lot i'm like you know during this first two weeks of class Your dog's going to go home at night. He's probably going to have to stress shit. Same thing. We have HRD. And so like poop is the window to the dog's soul. You can tell so much about how they feel and if they're getting too much training load, not enough training load, or if they're getting too much food or the wrong kind of food or whatever, uh, based on that. And it's an integral part of that. So, um, and that's like one of the first things I have, we have a dog's acting weird. That's one of the first things I ask him like, what's his poop look like? And yep. cause you can determine a lot about the health of the dog based on whether they're going to have water, blah, blah, blah. So uh, it's important. It's not just poop.
1: Yeah. So when we had Dave Dorson on a couple of times from kinetic, he uh, yeah. talked about the, um, I guess the differences and difficulties of feeding and, and the kennel stress involved in, um, such a large, large operation. Um, what did you see in that, that people just, wouldn't get if they're not in like a 50 maybe a hundred plus dog run kennel
2: um i think just the the variety Uh, it's it's a it's an environment that you really can't explain because you know this kennel concrete floor metal walls metal ceiling things like that uh 200 dogs you know there's several different buildings that help house them but one of them held a significant amount of dogs you walk in the door, they're all barking. You know, you can, you can feel that in your soul. You know, my, I I can't hear to this day because of it. So, um, but the vast variety of uh, different types of dogs, uh, you know, just the way that they, they act different personalities. Cause I mean, they're like people, different dogs have different personalities, you know, different drive levels. Um, Yeah. I mean, you can't really, I think I would say it's, it's very similar to, comparing it a, a police officer that works for a small department versus a large, the call volume, things like that, like, you know, a, a small town guy might might work a, a shooting or a robbery, you know, once a, a year or twice a year or something where your large agencies, you know, you're going to have, you know, we're going to have a couple shootings a night, a couple robberies, like things like that, where it's just your environment, what you're exposed to and kind of learning quickly sink or
1: swim right oh i i can imagine this this, i can hear the sound that would just because my kennel is silent like bark collars silent but i have eight kennels. i have Uh, my
0: employee we have (laughs) like i've got about 25 and i have a bark collar for every one of the fucking working dogs and i'll come in in the morning and they're cleaning and i'll have staff (laughs) my trainers will be there i'm like who doesn't have a fucking bark collar on Mm -hmm. and they learn real quick uh the dogs and so it's usually pretty quiet in there we don't i don't let them fucking spin themselves up and get all tweaked out and because they just get unfucking manageable sometimes and shit everywhere stress shits and so yeah i'm usually pretty on that like pretty quickly uh one of eric's buddies too out on the west coast does that also he keeps bark collars on them all Mm -hmm. the time
1: so So, i just did some math if Four hundred dogs at ninety dollars a bark collar is thirty six thousand dollars <laughs> in bark collar overhead. If you had and they say
0: silence is not priceless,
1: no, right?
0: <laughs> I right. disagree. Yeah. Ys six hundred, which stands for yo shut up. You know, number of times you don't have to say it uh, when they mm-hmm. wear one. Uh, they work. Uh, they...
1: <laughs> so when you get moved, when you get moved, what does uh, what is the first part of training? look like for you are you just handling dogs or i would imagine massive amounts of detection and boxes and things like that so where where did you start uh walk us through like the training career up to the supervision part
2: so i basically got pulled so i basically came in cleaning kennels and at this point in time you know it's a thriving business during the times and everything like that and I believe the, my first time getting pulled out was um, they needed a body. They needed somebody to uh, dress up a certain way and put on this hidden sleeve and go hide, um, you know, and do that. And that I was like, yeah, I'm your guy. I'll go do that. And, uh, and after that, I started um, getting more of those opportunities because I was, you know, the guy that always say yes, because I'd do anything to get out of, out of the kennel just because I, I like to, you know, do things. I didn't want to be cooped up. And once I started doing that, I got more opportunities and, but yeah, the very first was decoying hidden sleeve was my first experience.
1: Cool. I like it. Um, so then you get going up there, when you make it up to the supervisory, what did that look like? Like were you supervisor of a certain genre of the training or a day shift or what? what did it look like?
2: Yeah. So I went, I did that, that decoy, I guess I kind of cut your question off. I did, mm-hmm. I did the decoy thing. Um, and I kind of bounced around, uh, I guess the best way to explain it'd be like a multi-tool, just kind of where I was needed helping a lot of the head trainers. Cause at this time I was really young. So I was just kind of there to help do what was needed. Um, whether, you know, some, sometimes I would be on the military side and then sometimes I would be on the police side. Um, decoying and then box room. Um, obviously everyone's familiar with that. That's the easy one. Um, or, or running dogs through certain things, running dogs around places and went from there. And I was assigned for a six month period. I was, uh, basically a, I, I watched every day or just shy of six months, but this puppy program they raised. And, you know, I, I tell this story a lot, but if anyone, you guys probably can relate. I don't know if you if you have ever bred any in house, but those working dogs puppies are are a whole different ball game. It's kind of like Jurassic Park with the little velociraptors. You know, you get one of them on you, it's not too bad. We get twelve of them on you, and then that's not too bad when they're a month old or two months old. But once they start getting about six months old, and there is twelve of them, and you walk into their kennel and they're all together, it's no longer fun. But I did that. <laughs> that was the, probably the worst position I had went from that to that supervisor position, uh, the supervisor positions there, it's just the kennel master. And you're in charge of the kennel. Um, usually we had, um, one guy would do the whole, the whole shift, you worked the entire shift. And then at night we would go home, but you'd have a, a night supervisor is usually somebody that lived closer to the kennel that would come in, check, make sure everything was kosher. Um, and I don't know if he, he did that a couple times, at night, I think it was usually something that was close, but I never had that position because I lived a little bit further away.
1: Yeah, I, I would probably on purpose live further away. So I didn't <laughs> have to do that shit at night. So you get, you're working there for a while. Uh, how long were you at the kennel?
2: Um, I did, man, I'd have to do math Two, three, six years, maybe.
1: That's pretty good. That's a lot of dogs. A lot of dogs in six years so um you yeah. you you get into law enforcement and um you're there doing your thing and you get uh put in the canine unit uh are you currently on the first dog? yes, so tell us about that dog
2: so uh obviously, like anyone the best dog and of uh, course I, yeah, so no uh that's great i I knew what I wanted going in with you know, kind of having a, a predisposition on what I was getting myself into, I knew exactly what I wanted, I knew exactly what I was looking for, knew the people I was getting the dog from. Um, and did I look for, I, you know, I look for different things than other people I, I look for driving personality for the most part, because, you know, it's un, I have I have the opinion that it, you know, you can't really change that personality. If He's an asshole, he's an asshole. If he's not, he's not. But if they have that drive, I can get him to do almost whatever I want. So that's what I chose. I picked him for that and kind of hit the ground running and no complaints so far. I don't really have any issues. He, Like every dog, he had certain issues, certain quirks that I had to fix, but nothing has been too difficult to get him to understand or, or figure out. I think I had a good um, – I skipped a lot of issues having that background where I got – the, the early development instilled in him with the, like whatever it might be as associations and things. And I got it locked in pretty solid. I'm happy with it.
0: Yeah. I'm sure that that, that, that background <laughs> made the, made the timeline pretty steep and uh, you probably avoided a lot of the pitfalls. I think uh, a lot of new handlers make. Um, and that's one thing I was going to mention as you started saying that I uh, have a lot of, we just did a decoy camp for, um, Uh, TPD here in Tulsa TPD had a bunch of guys retire out of the unit and they brought in a bunch of new guys and Eric um, Johnson, who's now the um, USPCA president is their uh, Sergeant. Yeah. Eric. Yeah. Eric's sergeant, and kind of runs the unit, him and uh, Butterfield run the unit. But um, he was talking about how like, we have all these new guys come in and he's like, yo, we need, we need a decoy camp. I need you to, with some of the new guys. And, a while I was there, there was a lot of handlers from other um, large units in the area, uh, in the state, and or large agencies in the state that were not canine handlers that aspire to be canine handlers. And every single one in this day, Eric, this happens of both of us at um, a lot of the conferences, people come up to us and they're like, they're not even canine handlers yet. They just want to be, and they're like, oh god, we listen to every episode, da da da. da. So. <laughs> One piece of advice that you would give guys that are either like how big I mean we're not going to talk about where you're at but how big is the department you're on?
2: I'd call it probably medium probably similar to uh what Eric came from. Okay. Probably maybe not as a, we we don't have any recognized case law with us but pretty similar. <laughs> Sorry. We have
0: a few. <laughs> yeah. Uh uh shit so uh if you had like if you're listening to this and you're like i want to be a canine handler and listen to these guys give some people some advice from working from a working kennel and then going into law enforcement and then going into the special operations side with a dog and say hey this is the best thing that i can give you and to get to be successful with your first
2: dog um and I mean, that's a, that's a loaded one. If, if, somebody, are you talking, if somebody knows they're getting a dog and, and they're getting ready to, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I would say, you know, know what you're, what you're picking out. Um, but a lot of those guys, they're, they're not going to know. So if you want to listen to me, I like driving personality um, do that and then really focus on that um, early development, what, what you initially teach that dog. Cause it's, it, you know, it's hard to get rid of it. Once you, once you start imprinting them and showing them a certain way and and you do some reps on it and then you decide, Oh, I don't like that. You try to change it. Yeah. I mean, you're kind of dead in the water there.
1: Yeah. Did you find, um, uh, when you came in there, so you, you come people, word starts spreading around. Hey, that we got this guy Josh uh, Brainerd. He worked at this huge kennel. He's got all this experience, but a lot of the police departments that don't mean shit as far as the guys like in the in the specialized units go. Like you could <clears throat> you could be in SEAL Team Six and go work at a police department, and they're like, "Oh man, you got to get this guy in SWAT." And the SWAT guy's are like, "Man, fuck that dude. He didn't come through <laughs> here. He don't know shit. He don't know anything." It's just it's a weird thing in law enforcement. Um, I do like the fact that you said that the agency um, definitely took notice of your resume and was able to use that. Did you have to like, quote unquote, prove yourself to some guys, or or uh, uh, was it was, was it a little weird at first?
2: So I I came on, um, got real lucky with you know I didn't I got I got put on just before I got a dog got put on uh, inter- a full time interdiction unit. And then almost immediately after that, got a dog. Uh, had no clue what I was doing on interdiction, uh, but got lucky, hit a couple seizures. Mm-hmm. And uh, before I even started figuring out, got the dog and uh, went into that. And But the guys on the canine side, once, once I put in for canine, thought I had a good shot at it. A lot of those guys had heard my background and say they'd be like one or two year handlers or something. They'd have some issues. And a lot of those canine handlers were coming to me before I was even a canine handler, asking me questions on, on stuff. Or um, when I first got put on interdiction, there was a guy that had just gotten a dog. And I knew him from when I was in the patrol division. And as soon as he came back from school, he he hit me up and we were working, you know, in between shifts or, or whatever it might be. So I kind of already had that, that reputation where guys recognized me and I didn't have Luckily, I didn't really have any pushback from the guys, and they kind of just welcomed me with open arms and uh, handed me a lot of um, control over what we would be doing or, or training. They took a lot of my opinions, and you know, I've ha- I've had it pretty pretty made with the the canine group I'm in.
1: That's tough, man. I, that's I give credit to those guys. Um, I know th- I know a big agency in Ohio that had a guy that worked at the kennel that trained most of their dogs he got on man they fought these dudes fought and fought this guy getting a dog and um he finally did and fixed a motherfucker dog they had they were gonna get rid of him he goes no no no, let me tell you what i'll cut i'll fix this dog and you give him to me and they're like okay and he fucking did it because he's not you know training uh, doing shit from the 80s and um now he's he's in the unit and he kills it, but damn man, them it was, it was weird, and, and I don't know that my department would have been any different. To be honest with you, I think we probably would have been. Um, we had guys that that went to work at large, that started their careers at large agencies, and moved usually because of a woman. They got out of the military, they're in a big city, they work in there, they move back because that's where the girl's family's from. They come back. And then they come work at our place. We have 180 guys, and uh, it's, it's a lot of crime and everything. But man, they were like, "Shit, you don't know shit." Like I worked at a 5,000 man department with you know 30 homicides a week, and I don't know shit. And but it's just a, it's a weird thing in, in police work. Um, but I'm glad that I'm glad that uh, wasn't wasn't your case. Y- using what I would call like. Subject matter experts and using people that come from um, another place where they can, you know, bring something to the table is, is just isn't done that well. Everybody seems to be jealous and it's, it's really weird, especially if, um, and it might be a little not as bad now as when, when I was in law enforcement um, during the GWAT, the guys were coming back with actual real world experience not compared to all the military guys that were already at the police department. They didn't do fuck all when they were in the military. Right. But man, did they look down and talk shit about them dudes. that was combat and have seen all kinds of stuff. And it was, and I guarantee you, our department was not, um, an anomaly there. It, It was lots of places doing that. So, um, glad that, glad that wasn't your, your experience. It sounds pretty progressive thinking, of, uh, of the guys there. Um, we're going to go ahead and take a first commercial break when we get back. So one of the things we haven't really talked about in, um, Josh's bio is what he does with the dogs and they're he's had a unit that's running and gunning, and they're doing all their thing. But one of the main things he works on is, um, high risk tracks, tracks of high risk criminals, high risk fugitives, violent criminals, And does a lot of tactical stuff with the tracking, has been to a lot of schools, completed a lot of things, and then works that Dog a lot. And we haven't done a tracking episode in a while, so when we get back, we're going to take a quick little deep dive into um, what that looks like uh, for him and kind of how how that's gone and how he deploys on these high-risk people. Uh, So stand by. We'll be right back.
0: All right, one of the largest conferences in the country. Uh, Hits Canine Training Conference. It's America's premier canine training seminar, packed to the brim with the world's best instructors and me and Eric, all covering important topics. There is no better place to learn and no better place to network with other handlers, breeders, trainers, and vendors. Hits 2023 is being held in Scottsdale, Arizona. I hear they have a at the hotel. They have like the super high-end shopping outside. And I think you can go surfing in the desert, which I'm super looking forward to. Anyway, Scottsdale, Arizona, August 15th through the 18th. So hurry up and register now to save a spot and make sure you get a room. We'll see everybody there. Largest law enforcement training conference in the world. Tons of training classes. Lots of training topics for everybody and everything. Hours included and more network opportunities. Be sure to hit up Jeff Barrett at 863 863- Five two nine five one one three hits canine letter K number nine dot net and add hits underscore canine and all of your socials.
1: One of the best relationships we have in this podcast and in this industry is with the great people down at Kinetic Dog Food. The story of Kinetic uh, Performance Dog Food is pretty simple. They wanted to make a better premium dog food for the dogs that need it the most. Their goal is to give every working and sporting dog a higher energy level better performance and better overall health through superior nutrition so they formulated a line of food based on what they considered to be the optimal profile of a performing of performance dog they've done tons of research on this this isn't their first rodeo these guys know what they're doing if you're a kennel they will come to your kennel they will see the problems that you have they will check out what works for the dogs that you have Um, they're amazing people to work with. They drop ship a pallet right to you if you want. Um, I know a lot of guys that use them. There's a bunch of different formulas on there and, uh, 32 K might not be for your dogs. Maybe the 26 K works. They can adjust it. They'll give you the right ideas, what to do in different parts of the year. Winter's different than summer. It's, uh, it's really a well-run, good dog food um company kineticdogfood.com be sure to check them out on social media too man they're they're amazing folks kineticdogfood.com
0: By now you've probably all heard my story at least once i'm usually getting tagged by dogs or hurting myself so this next product isn't like near and dear to me because i actually use it uh quick turn by vet care it does great for keeping small things from turning into big ones. I use it at the kennel for uh, clients' dogs that have some issues with skin stuff or have food allergies or have environmental allergies. It works great, it keeps hot spots from making giant hot spots. And it keeps my working dogs who inevitably find magnificent ways to hurt themselves from turning it into a giant vet visit. It stops little issues from becoming big ones. So it comes in a spray, comes in an ointment, comes in a dressing. It's great for creating a protective barrier and promoting mood healing. You really only have to use it like once a day. So there's no reason not to have it in the vehicle. Since it's temperature stable, you don't got to worry about it getting hot, getting cold, or anything like that. So put it in your first aid kit or put it in your cabinet. VetCare.us on the internet. Quick term by VetCare on on Instagram and on Facebook. And then hit them up with the discount code 10WDR for 10% off your first order.
1: So my entire time that I was a handler or a trainer in law enforcement, the cars at my department in the departments that I trained all had American aluminum accessory kennels in the cars, different cars, man, Dodge chargers, all Ford models, some Chevys uh, SUVs, cars, everything. We loved American aluminum accessories. Um, It's a great product, a great company. They've been serving a canine law enforcement community for over 20 years You check out their uh, website, EZ, that's the letter Z, -Z EZRiderOnline.com. They got testimonials. They got videos on how-to. They got a list of everything they have. Uh, Just today, we made a post on the Working Dog Radio social media showing a dog that survived a really bad crash because of the American aluminum kennel in the back of the car. Check them out online, guys, EZRiderOnline.com. Just let them do their thing, man. Whatever car you got for your work, your patrol car, get a hold of them, American aluminum accessories, and get the best in the business.
0: Next up comes uh, training courses online from our friends down at Highland Canine Training, Jason and Aaron Ferguson. So in the post-Rona world, uh, training budgets have been getting cut. People aren't going to be able to travel, whether it be instructors or they be canine handlers and supervisors going somewhere else for training. So Highland has announced a lot of online training courses. One of those that sticks out to me is their police supervisor canine course. And it's no secret that one of the problems with canine tends to be some of the supervision issues. This course is specifically designed for administrators and covers utilization as well as liability and FLSA issues. The course can be taken at your convenience and you'll receive a certificate of completion at the end. When you go to tactical police k9training that's letter k number 9 training.com and use the discount code wdr30 you'll get 30% off of that course
1: all right everybody we are back working dog radio broadcasting the bite uh myself and ted are here with josh brainerd from uh none of your business and uh Talked about his history in the first segment. I hope you guys like the commercial breaks. Remember, go use the discount codes. They are in the show notes in case you fast forward to the commercials. We really do appreciate you guys, um, you know, going along with our sponsors and, and supporting them. Uh, a lot of our sponsors have been with us from the very beginning or pretty early on, and uh, <laughs> they tell us all the time, like the discount codes are the from Working Dog Radio, the most used that they have. So we really appreciate that. Anyways. So Josh, um, like we talked about before the commercial break, we're going to talk about some high risk tracking stuff. Um, Let's, first of all, what is your definition of that? What is, how does that define, you know, maybe your agency's definition of, of what that is?
2: Um, Well, what, so there's kind of two parts to that. My definition nowadays, I think, high risk tracking is basically anytime you're going to track somebody because we don't know what's high risk. Right. You know, and, but to, to answer like what, what might entail getting a, you know, a, a specific high risk deployment or whatever it might be labeled. That's going to be probably a more significant crime, robbery, homicide, um, things like, like your violent crime, significant crimes where uh, you might think the guy's armed and dangerous propensity to violence, things like that um, level of concealment night, day, things like that.
1: So we, we were talking before we started recording that um, like we're lucky here. If we go to track somebody, we have, you know, anywhere from two, three, four, five guys that go with us uh, where Ted's at, he's told stories about, you know, the guy's a, a local sheriff's deputy. He's got to track somebody as a trooper And he has a fish and wildlife dude with him. They may have never met. And and they got to go try to track some of these people, which is not ideal. Um, So let's talk about like your minimums that you want and that you need. And like how you how you begin an operation like that.
2: Um, So, I mean, I can the minimums. It depends on if I have the ideal guys, I can go a little bit. Less, you know, uh, the guys that I deploy on. If we're looking for, say, a homicide suspect and, and they're going to rally certain people, the guys that I track with are guys that I always track with, they're the same guys. So, and I'm very fortunate now, I don't have to have some random agency come up because that's a whole different ballgame. You have to rely a lot on yourself and, and know, like, can I trust this guy to do that? But, um, I have those guys and, and we get them together. i like uh, typically if just a normal normal deployment if we're looking for a bad dude it's probably going to be me a guy right with me and i might have two two wings out the side and one rear flanker that's kind of playing free safety uh kind of looking all around and and filling spots where where work needs to be made
1: who who's doing the communication on the radio when you make a significant change in direction
2: uh so basically guy right on me my my the guy that's basically deemed my lethal cover, the guy attached to me, not the guy that's taking the corners or or swinging around just the guy that's right on my shoulder or or slightly in front of me. Um, That guy's making all the calls. He's telling, he's communicating with the other guys with uh, the radio. He's handling all that.
1: You know, we, I used to have a guy that when I worked nights with my dog, um, who would, he always wanted to go with me, which was cool. He's a good dude, but, if that dog looked to the right, he'd get on the radio. We're going we're turning north. I'm like, dude, I'll tell you when the fuck we're turning. Like, okay, we're turning south. He's licking his butt. We're not turning south. You know, any little head snap, we're turning. I'm like, you just like talking on the radio. Um, how does uh, how how does like the light work? How do you like the guys working the flashlights? How do you like all that lighting going for you?
2: Uh, as long as it's not shining on my back, you know, I don't, I don't really complain with the guys. They, they do a really good job. I'm not the, you know, the guys that are going out there with me, um, if the, if this is like a call out situation, those guys are, are the tactics guys. Those guys have the real world experience. Um, they have the background to do what they're doing. Um, you know, these are, I'm super fortunate because these are guys like, you know, my right hand man's a, a guy that uh, has a lot of credentials in his own self tactical related stuff. So I don't tell him anything about tactics. I run a dog. So he handles that. He makes sure everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing. And I basically learned from him of what he was having people do. And that's kind of how we developed where we were.
1: And, uh, you, do you then work with the agency's, uh, SWAT team or whatever they call it?
2: Yeah. So we have, we have a SWAT team and if it's if it's like a a a homicide if if patrol calls for something because a guy fled from it i'll I'll track with i won't track with these guys unfortunately as as much as i could but a lot of times i'll get called out i'll usually get one guy from that unit that'll come with me but then the other fillers will be patrol guys that are comfortable or familiar with the dog
1: do you guys do in service with the patrol guys to like Talk about that. Or is it kind of just roll call training or how's it go?
2: Nope. Uh, we have all day training. Um, the, a lot of the guys have a familiarity with it. We, we utilize dogs where I'm at frequently. Like it's, they're all pretty comfortable around them. Um, uh, my dog, you know, I picked him for a certain reason, you know, based off what I touched on and guys aren't, concerned about my dog they're not worried about him circling they're not worried about him uh you know nuking them or anything like that like i mean he's he's been on plenty of tracking deployments and he's been just fine so guys are they've established that comfortable uh feeling around them and a lot of our dogs where they don't have to worry about that their their primary focus is providing lethal cover for the officer
0: so <clears throat> Eric mentioned at the beginning of the episode, like where we're at. Um, and I, I think this is probably common for a lot of areas of the country that don't, is it, I think the last time that they I read about it, like uh, the average law enforcement agency in the country is about 25 officers, whether that's a city or uh, a sheriff's department. And um, a lot of those times, a lot of those agencies will have canine. We have a lot of dogs on departments that have officers in the teens and Um, those dogs get moved back and forth around to different agencies. And like when they track they end up tracking with, like I said, dudes from fish and wildlife. And we had a, we had an evidence recovery the other, well, a couple weeks ago with one of our dogs where they were looking for a gun that had been used in a shooting and game wardens and fish and wildlife dudes have been out looking for this thing for two days and the dog found it in like 20 minutes or something, Uh, which was another topic all in and of itself. Um, But, this uh, you're super you're in a fortunate position because what you're talking about is training with those guys and and they're familiar and comfortable with that dog and they're familiar with what the dog does and they're familiar with how he works is a huge asset to have. And uh, this case or not this, uh, this course I'm putting on next week, um, I have a lot of specific case law that I'm going to talk about with them um, that revolves around um, officers probably not being trained very well, if at all, um, and prolonging um, altercations with the dog or prolonging certain things um, that shouldn't have been prolonged based on a lack of training. Um, So if we, and I know we do, we have people listening to this that are in small departments or they're kind of fractured where, especially sheriff's departments um, in the central portion of the country, Texas, where those dogs service a lot of smaller departments that don't have the assets, How would you suggest and what exercises uh, these guys should they be doing with patrol guys that aren't related to the dog at all, or even in the same department to help with success on tracks? And I mean, success by minimizing the amount of damage we're doing to people, minimizing the amount of time we have on bite, minimizing mistakes, all that kind of stuff.
2: I think, you know, you're responsible for your dog. So a lot of that, that time on bite, uh, given the, uh, the safety of it or, or the scenario, let's assume that it's fairly safe. Like you getting to that point, um, and getting your dog off. I think that's kind of on you. You need to be able to, if you tell your dog to let go, you're going to nowadays you have, your dog has to let go when you want him to let go. Like you can't not have that. Um, but with, with like these smaller agencies and stuff, and I I recognize that I'm extremely fortunate with the, the size. I don't try to, you know, pull wool over people's eyes, but there have been situations where I've had to track with guys that have never been on a canine track before. Um, as Eric probably has too, and oh, yeah. it's not as ideal, but those guys, they step up to it. They know they're, you know, they, they have the call volume experience or, or the violent experience in, in, in these calls to understand, you know, a little bit of tactics and they know what they have in, uh, they're smart guys where I say, Hey, you know, before the track, are you afraid of a dog? No. Okay, good. Don't worry about the dog. You worry about, you know, lethal cover. You make sure everything's good. Um, and I kind of lay down my expectations with them and, and we go from there. And I just, you know, hope they, they remember what I said. And
1: I think don't watch the dog or don't be worried about the dog. Well, is probably the hardest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. yeah. That's the hardest for guys. It's, it's a shiny object, so to speak. Uh, I get it. And when I first got on the PD, we had killers that uh, are biting someone. Someone in the track is getting bit, whether it's the the other guys, the handler. I remember doing building searches with guys, and they're like, do not get even five feet away from me. Because if, like, this is a school with a hallway that comes all the way back around, and this dog is pitch black, like he's a black shepherd. He comes back around. If you're off on your own, you're it. Uh, I was like, yeah, don't worry, man. I'll just I'll hold your pocket like I'm in prison. Um so- I tell
2: everybody I tell everybody that uh, that we run into I said, never put yourself on an island. Like you yeah, not do that. Don't become your own little seceding nation over here. If we're all mm. over here this is where you need to be. Don't be that guy that ventures off, you know, wandering around because we'll end up finding you. <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, so when we do, when I do these, um, integration things, uh, so we focus on a lot of the case law and which unfortunately focuses on mistakes. Um, a lot of the times I, we focus on some of the successes too. I mean, there's some good ones. Um, but some of the things that like some of the practical applications that we, that we deal with these guys, um, are building clearing and these are not SWAT guys. These are just normal patrol dudes. Um, and girls. And uh, we so it's not like high speed bullshit. It's not anything crazy. It's literally just um, setting expectations for what the dog is capable of, because a lot of times even patrol guys, especially if you're from a small department, you've never worked around the dog, you don't know what the dog's capabilities are, and you don't understand what the dog is actually doing. And, like Eric is saying a minute ago, he tracked with a dude like every, like the dude, the dog would lick his ass and he's like, oh, we're going to turn south. Like, no, he's just, he's not. You let me call changes of behavior. So we get a, and then the other side of that is they don't understand what is is happening or what should happen. Um, I have hours of body cam, not necessarily from our guys, of dogs biting and backup guys literally standing there and the handler saying hey i need your help i need you to do this i need you to do that and all of a sudden people lose their fucking mind because there's a dog biting and i understand like because of what we do especially you and all three of us actually because of where we come from and how many dogs we have come through our like we're kind of institutionalized in terms of like dogs biting people like it, to me it's not that big of a deal like we do bite work all the time i'm comfortable around it i can do whatever Some of the exercises that we do, I make them do the ground fighting exercises and cuffing under power with the dog attached, right? So they get used to it, right? We do room clearing and building clearing with the dog on leash, off leash, dogs are in muzzles, usually just because I tell guys, you got to act like you're supposed to be there. If you act like you're supposed to be there, the dog won't mess with you. Just ignore him. Like you do your job, you let the dog do yours. And then running security, like you're for uh, running security for tracking, Um, and then kind of some talk on some perimeters and containment. Um, that's a tall order on small departments because it's a, it's a speed thing and it's a manpower thing, both of which they typically don't have. But, um, those kind of like exercises, I think also play to the gram analysis in real time. And then explaining to people when we bite and why we bite people. Um, and then on the drug side, developing reasonable suspicion, like what that looks like, because we get that question all the time. Like, dudes would be like, Well, I smelled weed in the car. And so we call the dog. I'm like, If you smelled weed in the car, just get him out of the damn car. Get him out of the fucking car. And the other question is, Are we allowed to get him out of the car? I'm like, Yes, you are. It's Pennsylvania versus Mims and Maryland versus Wilson. Get him out of the fucking car. And I don't want you searching cars with people in them. Like, and, and so once we start giving everybody these things, because for instance, how many times have you heard, we only bite felonies? Like every uh, time I do an admin thing, they're like, oh, we only bite felonies. In Oklahoma, it's a felony to steal a catalytic converter. While I understand it's a pain in the ass. And I had the conversation the other day with somebody. I'm like, so you're going to bite people for for stealing a catalytic converter? And they're like, well, no. So I'm not asking patrol people to make gram analysis, but they need at least need to understand what their what the possible outcome could be when we find this person if we find them and what the what their job is once dog has made contact we've determined that they're safe or if we're going to recall the dog if we're going to break the dog off if we're going to cuff under power what those things look like and what those situations look like in real time and then we run them through a scenario-based training that the dog has done a million times with them playing their roles and that works very very successfully so if you have an agency that has 10 officers and they're in a county that has 25 deputies and they may have three dogs that service that area that training can be cross applied to any of those encounters if they have a call for service that's not one of their dogs or vice versa so um and it's just basic shit and as some of the scenarios we do, like the island that we've done at HRD, which is the ground fighting exercise we're doing, I call it canine jujitsu, but we're wrestling with the dogs, tats, and everything else. And it's, it's one that a lot of people, it's really empowering for a lot of people because, I mean, I'm sure you've seen it, where the dog's biting and people are like, what do you want me to do? And you're like, put fucking handcuffs on <laughs> Like, go get him. <laughs> and people freak out. So is there any of those things that you guys have run or do or – any advice that you have for people listening to this say, you need to work on this. And it's one of those types of training that's super potent. It does They don't need a lot of contact on it because they already have the base skills, right? Like they already have the defensive tactics. They already have a lot of other shit. So it's literally just this little tweak because we've got the angry Malinois and it's it's pretty straightforward. But um, what I try to impress upon them is the clock starts ticking as soon as they're on and you got to make a decision. You got to do something.
2: Yep. Um, are are in, Is your question based on non-handlers or handlers that are trying to work on the training?
0: Well, both. So handlers that want to help their patrol divisions, like with the interactions and then administrators or guys that run because, you know, like departments have guys that their only job is to run training, whether it's firearms training, whether it's defensive driving training or you know, offensive driving training, defensive tactics. Tech- whatever it is and a lot of times those guys have zero idea about dogs they're like uh canine guys just you know fuck shit up and cause problems and bite stuff and tear people up and they, they find drugs and that's all they do that's all they know about
2: yeah um you know one a couple of things that i impressed to the guys like the non-handlers in training when we do these it's, it's all very similar to what you're talking about our training even for the non-handlers, just your basic patrol guys or anything like that. it's all scenario based, anyways. Um, whether it, you know it's vehicle related, running it or but we all, we do we expose them to cuffing under power or like cuffing with the dog on, cuffing when the dogs just immediately come off because there's circumstances where that might happen either way, um, depending on on where it is. And you know I have plenty of those stories on why it went one way versus the other, um, why a dog stayed on, why a dog came off. Um, but I tell the guys, like, look, if you've watched a lot of these dogs, um, they're not just gonna let go, like, and just walk away just to grab you. Like, <laughs> you, have, you have to yeah. take them off the bite. Like, they, they don't. I mean, they're they're gonna come off, but you you know what I mean? Like, we we understand this that like he's not gonna let go. It's like he's just like him spitting his tennis ball. If you got a ball drive dog, he's not just gonna drop it for no reason. So yeah. we tell them that. Once they kind of understand that, like, oh, and you're like walk up like, and you know, we'll keep, we'll keep their collars. We'll, we'll stay up on him until these guys are comfortable back. Walk up, like, you know, pat him on the, on the thigh, uh, on the hindquarters. Like he's not going to move. And the next thing you know, they're coming up and they're patting him on the head, rubbing him on the head while he's on the decoy. And they're like, okay, this isn't so bad. You know, the only thing, you know, cause I'm honest with them. I tell them just be careful and just watch for when the dog comes off, putting your hand in front of his mouth or in his mouth. Like that's all you got to really watch out for. Cause I'll have control of my dog. I'll make sure he's not going to grab you. Just you just don't do something, so he can grab you. Like you don't do something stupid, I won't do something stupid. We have and, a patch we'll for order. that. Oh yeah,
0: <laughs> it says don't put your hand anywhere you wouldn't put your dick. Yeah. <laughs> I say it and people laugh, but they remember. So yeah. the other thing that I talk to those dudes about is during drug searches, like if you have a stop, you develop, or you develop reasonable suspicion, you call for the dog, so we don't have a Rodriguez problem. And then you're running the dog. So uh, well your handler is running the dog and you're babysitting the people that were in the car and you get a TFR and I don't need you narrating. Especially if you're wearing a body cam, <laughs> like I don't, no one needs you narrating if you're not the fucking handler. Nobody cares what you have to say, but I guarantee you that it will come up if you narrate, because if you're sitting there and they're like, oh, that's a good alert. That's this. And that's that. No one like just shut up. Because that happens more than I care to admit uh, around where I'm at, and no one cares. Like, be
2: quiet. Like, let the handler handler handle things. (laughs) I tell our guys, I'm like, hey, at most you can say that I told you. Like, there you go. Dog alerted. At most, do not ever put your because if you put something in your report or on your body cam that's like that, you're just asking to get questioned about it, and then. You know, It doesn't matter what the truth is or anything like that. If it goes to a jury, it's what they believe. Right. Yeah, so, sure. so we might, if I, if you say something because you don't know what you're talking about and it's different than what I say, but mine's the truth and the facts. And then a jury looks at it and goes, okay, well, those are conflicting statements. Well, yeah, who's right? Why are guys being- <laughs> like, so just you know, let me do my job. Let me talk about the dog. I'll handle all that. And you just handle everything else.
1: Yeah. Because I'm going to call you a moron on the stand. Sorry. <laughs> I'm throwing you under the bus. You're, yeah. The why did that officer say that? Because he's a dumbass. That's why. Uh, respectfully, of course, your honor. Um, real quick, before we take our next break, back to the tactical tracking part. So we had um, uh, anytime we do any kind of uh, SWAT integration where they want to work on the SWAT integrating a uh, tactical track with flankers, you know, a decent amount out there. Almost in the training scenario, almost every single time. If you're having the whole unit pivot, when the dog is turning the flankers, find the guy before the dog, almost a, a, a large percentage of the time. That's why it's super important for the guys to be paying attention and not watching the dog. What's your protocol on there? If the human being sees or stumbles across or comes across the guy before the dog does.
2: Yeah. they're they're We're going to, vocalize that to each other like it'll come across comms and they'll say like eyes on or or whatever it is and you know i mean that's not necessarily i mean you don't want to stumble upon them but if you find them from distance and thing it's just based
1: on wind you know where the dog the guy finds it based off and so when we're doing that we really are we know the dog will track him and the dog's going to head snap and turn into the wind and find him but the guys think that uh, i'm just out here on the flank you know i'm just protecting or whatever and more often than not they're the actual ones that find the person so
2: a dog yeah, that, are you talking like with sorry
1: um, no,
2: are you talking about like wind at your back and, and things like that where the you know the dog's not gonna hit him from distance or have a proximity alert on him and then next thing you know this dude's walking on him
1: yeah yeah that type. Yeah. Of, and guys because it's a good way to um show them that they shouldn't be watching the dog because they're probably gonna find the oh. dude. I mean, there's a, there's a chance, you know what I mean? Well, yeah. One
0: of uh, one of our dogs that graduated recently um, had contact uh, about 10 days ago. And the body cam is pretty interesting because um, the agency that called is not the agency that he works for. So we've got two, two other dudes tracking with a guy, with my handler who's not, they're not part of the same agency. And body cam, you can clearly see The dog downing, like my handler downs him at distance so they can clear. He jumped through a a barbed wire fence, dog downs, and he's looking directly at where the guy ends up being. And the dog had given him good proximity. And previously my handler had called it. He and he didn't say proximity, but he said, Hey, we're close. And so one of the backers spots this guy first. And the first thing he says is he lights him up and says, Show me your hands. And in our training, when we do proximity alerts, all of our dogs are taught that when we say, show me your hands, we mark it. So all my decoys know that when they hear that, that they need to, they need to mark that behavior in some way, whether it's vocalization or movement or something. And as soon as they did, the dog bolts and smokes this pool. And they immediately jump on this dude and you hear my handler talking to them and he's like move 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 get his hands get his hands get his hands now right because he knew that these dudes had no experience working around the dog didn't know this dog and you know my handler comes up he's like show me your hands show me your hands get your hands and then we start with the whole get your hand help me get you cuffed and i'll get the let's get this let's get you cuffed and i'll get this dog off you super quick and immediately but in a suit but it's all of our dogs when you say show me your hands they'll look at where you're looking or they're like what are you looking at what do you see that i don't bro and they're not going to just inadvertently decide well i'm going to smoke this dude instead so they get exposed to that quite a bit but uh it's it's funny you mentioned that because that literally happened on my handlers like 10 days ago uh but yes for sure
1: so one I, i just thought of another question before the uh before the break so on the high risk guy, murder suspect, robbery suspect, are you, you want your preference with the dog to be, um, a location tool just if you can get the proximity alerts, not a, not a, uh, putting all my, uh, coins in that fucking fountain of the proximity alert, but using the dog just as a location tool, pull back pistols up or whatever it is, or would you prefer track to contact?
2: Uh, yeah i don't i don't i mean a lot of people I'm sure have different opinions but you know I know exactly what my dog is my dog is not bulletproof he has a vest things like that uh yeah I use him as a locating tool and once we have contact or sorry once we once I have that either proximal or or some kind of triangulation I start to figure out that I know that we're getting an area that's where I'm that's my goal. That's my end goal. When I go out on these tracks, my goal is not to actually contact the guy. My guy goal is to find the general location where he's at and then make some calls. And then whether it's, you know, droning it out, bringing, if, if environment allows bring the SWAT truck up, we slow it down from there and then we let those guys figure out how are we going to move up on this guy? You know, we might bring the dog back up or something, but we're, we're using the dog as a locating tool to figure out where this guy's at. Uh, I mean, you can literally Google it. What happens when dogs find violent people with propensity to violence that are ready to do harm and waiting, laying in wait? And I tell I tell handlers this all the time. Um, and, and Eric, you'll definitely be able to relate to this. When we have a barricaded suspect in a house, I mean, we're we treat that a very specific way. But we have somebody essentially barricaded in an open environment, whether it's a woods or anything like that, and all of a sudden it's a dog call. So I, and I think we need to kind of change that mentality. It's like, these are same crime, same situation, you know, concealing themselves, lying in wait, all these factors. And we like, we need to be conscious of this and be careful.
1: Yeah. Uh, Yep. I can. Yeah, I agree. Um, there, there there's some tracking trainers that say that if you track, if you get a bite on the track that you made a mistake that you got too far, um, Again, because of wind, they can never answer that question. If the wind's at their back, you know, then what? Um, so I... <clears throat> the other thing you mentioned that um, I know my department is still way behind on it is the use of drones. I I don't... There's two things that I don't understand anymore this day and age in, in law enforcement is not using drones and not using night vision. Um, I don't get it at all where the SWAT team will have full nods. Canines will have fuck all nods like nothing. And they'll use the drone over houses for barricades, everything, but they don't use the drone for tracking. Um, Drones are not that expensive anymore. You know what I mean? We Canton had one. It's huge. It was like a lot of money. They only ever use it during the football hall of fame crap. Um, and meanwhile, it could be used uh, for a shitload more. We have a lot of crime in Canton, a lot of crime and a lot of things that happen. And um, I just don't I don't see the reason to to not start using the drones with dogs and not just with, you know, the the wanted murderers hold up in the house. Uh, yeah, when did you guys lot. start doing them?
2: Um, it, it's been more recent, probably within the past couple of years, we started using them, but. I mean, it works like we, I mean, especially different things we have, we have several drones where they can, and they can land and swap out batteries or you can run two or three of them. Our dogs, you know, ignore them. They're used to them. They're used to the sounds and the sights of them if they come low or go high or anything like that. But I think it's, it's, I mean, same thing as, as night vision, like um, it, it's all, all the tools that we can use to give ourselves the upper hand, you know I, I would love
1: to use yeah the uh w- ted and i were doing a scenario or a scenario-based school in texas and they had i forget what department it is it's a bigger one outside of dallas they have um i think t- like 20 drones and uh there's drones on every single shift they use them all the time they have a big one they have little you know medium-sized one they have teeny tiny ones to go in indoors and everything and their chief of police happened to be standing next to us and he goes yeah man nobody gets away from us like nobody gets away <laughs> yeah I was I, like I it, like you dude and I that's saw it was uh,
0: pretty cool I saw Marty and the guys out on in San Francisco or South San Francisco excuse me uh doing drone inoculation in their training the other day did you see that yeah 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 I yeah. love it they're flying drones it. around the dogs and so anyway uh we're gonna take a break uh we get back. We're gonna to talk to Josh about the uh street cop training stuff and finish up. So don't go anywhere. Uh we'll be back in just a second.
1: All right, we love the Perkinsons down in uh North Carolina at Highland Canine Training. They are great people, great trainers. They got a good business model, they're awesome folks. We've been with them for a long time. Uh they're also super smart and they understand that a lot of agencies are struggling to have manpower. So they're not sending people away for training. You guys have been there. You know, you put in, denied lack of manpower. So they've created an online course section of their website, Tactical Police training.com. You get on there under training, the online course. But here's the best thing, is they offer a supervisor, canine supervisor course, which we know a lot of uh, police canine supervisors don't get to go to training. They don't know as much as they should right here online. Uh, The course discusses topics such as proper selection of dogs and handlers, proper deployment, effective allocation and utilization, as well as liability and the FLSA issues, which we know is where all the legal stuff comes from interdepartmental. Uh, The course can be taken at your convenience and you will receive a certificate of completion at the end. Uh, They're offering an amazing discount, guys. 30% off using the discount code WDR30. It's a no brainer. If you're a police supervisor and you guys have manpower issues, and you can't go get on tactical police canine training.com under the training tab. Get on that supervisor's course, man. I'm telling you, it's a smart decision. All right, guys, we're going
0: to take a quick break for just a second and talk about Dogtra, one of our favorite sponsors. Uh, Doctor's been committed for over 20 years to crafting dog training e-collars to perfect and precise fit and finish intuitive design and accountable performance the Dogtra 1900s e-collar is one of my favorites and it demonstrates what they strive for an ultimate dog training tool that is durable dependable and designed for the most demanding conditions which i can attest to because i tear stuff up frequently my favorite is the 1900s black and the 1900s hands-free which i use all the time check it out at dogtra Dot com. Be sure to use the discount to- code WDR10 for 10% off any single item over 200 bucks. That includes the 1900 and the 1900 Black.
1: It's no secret that we love Ray Allen canine equipment. We use their products every single day. The mission statement says it all to be a world leader in quality and innovative innovation of professional canine equipment for police, military, Schutzen, and ring sport to exceed our customers' expectations and deliver on time every time at a fair price. We full-heartedly believe they've held to that since it is our go-to one-stop shop for everything canine. Not everything canine alone, guys, dogs in general. If you train dogs, if you have a dog, everything you need for dog or canine, check out Ray Allen Canine Manufacturing, RayAllenCanine.com. Use the discount code WDR10 for 10% off.
0: Super excited to have American Aluminum Accessories on board with us here at the podcast. These guys manufacture a wide variety of products from high-quality cam locker toolboxes to an extensive line of products designed to meet the ever-changing needs of the law enforcement community. Around 1992, due to the demand for safe and secure transport for a local law enforcement agency's canine unit, they introduced the very first in-vehicle Easy Rider canine container. So it was basically what we now call just our inserts. They have continuously grown and expanded uh, the products, catering to the needs and the wants of their valued customers and high-profile clientele, and catering specifically to law enforcement. Over the years, as the needs have changed for law enforcement, they've evolved and expanded the products to include inmate transport systems, the canine training aids, which I use quite a bit of, canine inserts. Most of, every one of my guys has one of those things. And you know, you if you're not even have to be in law enforcement. I have several friends that are civilians that work. <laughs> Lots of dogs that have the inserts put into their cars too. So, if you got one that fits, you can do it. Uh, they also do contraband and animal control systems, just to name a few. So, be sure to hit them up. The website is Easy Rider Online. So, that's the letter E, the letter Z, as in zebra, rideronline.com. If you're looking for them on Instagram and Facebook, it's American Aluminum Accessories. Feel free to hit them up there too.
1: So, our first and oldest sponsor that's been with us from the beginning is Arno out out at ALM, uh, out there in the Las Vegas area. Arno is a great dude. He makes great stuff for for police work and sport work, suits, tugs. I'm telling you right now, his tugs are the best in the business. You can't get any better. Multiple colors. Uh, I, I buy boxes of them from him, and give them out to everybody. Uh, I've got a bite suit from him. Love it. I've had it for a little over three years, and it's holding up like a champ. Um, Ted's got a suit that he's had forever from ALM. Uh, we wouldn't go anywhere else, man. We love it. Arno is such a good dude. His uh, ALMK9Equipment.com is the website. Get on there. He's got pre-made suits. He can do custom suits based on your measurements. Um, he's got stuff already already made up. If you kind of get a kind of generic large size, maybe for everybody. The colors he has, man, is really cool. He can put a lot of stuff on those suits. Uh, check them out, ALM, canineequipment.com, and use the discount code WDRadio for 10% off.
0: You know, running a kennel is one of those things that I always worry about is cleanliness and safety of dogs. And it's, it seems like it's an ever-changing issue being able to house dogs and move things around everything else. So the guys at Horizon Structure make this as easy as possible. Literally, the only thing you have to do is have water and power hookups and they deliver it and you can put dogs in that day. And it comes built, comes on a trailer. They just drop it off. You plug it in, put dogs in it, and you're ready to rock. You keep them clean. You keep them safe. You keep them cool in the summer and warm in the wintertime. And it's completely custom. You can go complete mild to wild. I've seen some that were stainless steel all the way from top to bottom on the inside. And then I've seen some for a, a bulldog breeder that you know had smaller gates because those things can't jump. So if you reach out to them. Uh, they're sitting there waiting for you to call and help you through the custom design process. They have everything from two dog ones up to, uh, I want to say like 18 or 20. It's a lot of, you can put a lot of dogs, indoor, outdoor runs. So anything you've ever dreamed of, they've got it, have done it or can do it. So they've taken all the guesswork out of building it. Everything is pre-done to your specifications that it's assembled, dropped off. Boom. You're ready to rock. Things are amazing. Uh, Rigney has one. Uh, We've had him on the show a couple of times. Go check out his Instagram. And you can see he's posted it up there before. Go look Horizon up at Horizon Structures, spelled out Uh, on the internet. It's horizonstructures.com. And you're going to look for the link in there that says commercial dog kennels. Or give them a call, 888-447-4337. They'd love to talk to you and get you started on the way. All right, we are back. Uh Working Dog Radio Broadcast in the Bite. Last segment with Josh Brainerd uh from Street Street Cop Training. Uh we were just talking about uh high risk tracking, tracking with drones, and what cover guys need to be doing and not doing, um, and some of the exercises that I use uh from some of those seminars that we do. Um so you Josh, you ran a dog for a while, um, first dog. Uh, how did you get hooked up with the um, street cop guys? Well, first of all, let's talk about who they are. I mean, if I, I assume everybody listening to this, it's a police officer or in law enforcement knows who they are. If not, let's explain who these guys are first.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a training company. Uh, all, all of us instructors, we, you know, focus on kind of giving guys a jump start in their career, whatever that specialty might be or whatever their, their classes, like, for instance, I, I do, Kane. I want to, you know, tell people everything that I know, whether, whether I know less or more than you, whatever it might be, I'm going to tell you what I know, my experiences, things that I've seen, and hopefully, you know, a, a newer guy, or even an older guy will take that and back, like, you know, I didn't think about that and maybe accelerate them quicker, or, quicker, or allow them to get to be a, a better handler than they were, you know, yesterday, as soon as possible. So, and, and that correlates to each of the classes. It's 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 all we know, all we've learned, in the shortest amount of time. And we're not here to to bore you. You know, we, I think we put on good classes on how they're done and um, do it well.
1: So when you're instructing there, how long is your class?
2: Uh, about eight hours, including a lunch.
1: What do you get into with it?
2: Yeah. So the the initial, and you know how how in-depth all these topics can be, um, especially when it comes to canine. But um, I break it down into into segments, six segments. And, and the first one, because there's all walks of life, there's supervisors there, non-handlers that want to be handlers, guys that don't want to be handlers, but they they work around a dog a lot, handlers, trainers, just everybody there. So you got to kind of make sure everyone is on the same page. So right off the get-go, I talk about you know, how these dogs think and learn where they come from, whether it's uh, imported in, which we know most are um, dog selection, letting them know, like, hey, you know, these dogs are prepared for for these selections. So you need to know what you're looking for and have somebody there to hopefully help you. um, And and all those things talk about how they learn through either successive approximation associations, um, that early development, um, go into that A lot about basically focusing on the dog so i get that that baseline there then we'll break and then we go into kind of odor odor theory how that's going to work and this is where it's most important to those those handlers so they can understand um during their deployments what they're seeing whether you know buildings with positive negative vacuums tracking uh things wind and and all that but even even atmospheric pressure. So, you know, if your odor is going to be higher or lower, um, things like that, understand how, how this odor is going to be manipulated when it's going to permeate, where it's going to permeate and try to predict it to keep your dog in a productive area. Then we talk narcotic deployments, third segment, lunch, fourth, we break into, uh, patrol deployments. Fifth is man hunting. And we talked about that earlier. And the big focus in that, you know, and I, I stress a lot of these points, Cause I, you know, I don't want people getting hurt. You see it too much. Um, is if, if we can, ideally, you know, containment is your, is your number one thing knowing like, you know, can we, is this guy contained if, if at all possible? And um, once we start from there, understanding, like, why are we looking for this guy? What's he wanted for things like that, getting our team together that we're going to track this guy, look for him, have an established formation and then an internal SOP with our guys, such as corners, like we're not just going to take a corner blind. I'm not going to run around a corner with a dog. They all know we're, we're taking a corner the same way every single time. This is how we do it. Um, proximity alerts, all those things. And then we kind of end the day with um, if these guys, they're, they're amazing health, um, canine first aid, things like that. Worlds beyond me. Um, you guys have had some of them on here in, in their knowledge, but I try to touch on that. A lot of the stuff I learned in the kennel, um, such as like, we had a dog get impaled with a corn husk and during, during some training, cause there's cornfields everywhere. And so that's kind of where I got my eyes opened and Hey, this can happen in any environment. So like how to, how to hopefully try to basic first aid, stabilize your dog until you can get that further training with these guys that really know what they're doing and do that uh heat injuries being familiar with it what we can do and, and things like that and then big focus on liability vicarious liability supervisor failure to train all that thing and embed amongst all that case law and let them know what you can and can't do when you can do it and that's about it and a lump sum
1: you're talking about containment um i forgot to mention in the last segment um Patrol officers doing containment when it comes to tracking is probably the worst thing, the worst thing and the hardest for guys to learn and to get across. And as many roll call trainings, as much training you can try to do with it. It's tough, man. Um, for a long time, my department, we had, uh, it was horrible, just horrible. I'm like, guys, I need this dude to bed down. He's got 15 minutes head start. If he doesn't bed down, we're not catching him fucking cell phones. Everybody's got cars. We're not catching him. And uh, they're just driving around shining the spotlight. They can't sit still on a corner. They can't hold a perimeter. It um, now they'll stand outside a house for three hours on a, on a one, two corner. You know what I mean? And it's just really, uh, really one of the toughest. Now, when you do these classes, um, what what's your feedback from? What do you get from the supervisors? What, what's the feedback from those guys?
2: Um, so far, a lot of a lot of guys had, I think, eye opening experiences. I don't know what their background was. If they, I know at least one of the guys had just been put into that position, um, and he said he didn't have any any canine experience whatsoever. So he everything that I was talking about was new to him, and it, I'm sure it was overwhelming. Mm-hmm. and stuff but a lot of these guys reach out afterwards and will ask like a lot of these liability laws what their guys need to do but uh, i think the supervisors take a lot away from it too because it's not just for the handlers i think the, <clears throat> with anything the more base level knowledge you have the more you're going to take away from it but you're going to take away something from it this is all i know
1: <laughs> yeah now ted you're you have a class you said that coming up it's a supervisory class no well it's
0: an integration class but i have a lot of supervisors that are going to be there um so and like i think one of the sheriffs is going to be there uh we have like a chief is going to be there from one of the smaller agencies that's within one of the counties that has uh a couple of our dogs um and it's kind of the same thing right so during the powerpoint we do the whole like we address the issues, right? So I try and describe the capabilities of the dog, what they're there for, what they're not there for, and what the roles are. And I don't have a ton of time to do it. Like I'm sure Josh, you know, you got eight hours, right? So, you know, I don't have a ton of time. Plus the PowerPoint, like the very beginning presentation is about an hour and a half ish. And the rest of the time, we got like seven hours of doing stuff where I'm making them like work their role during scenarios and in an effort to try and give them as much exposure to this as possible. But For the admin side, what I hope to do is nothing more than just say, look, and I tell them this and I tell admins this too, They're like, look, I need you to show up to training once a quarter. Like they're supposed to train 16 hours a month. I need you there once a quarter. So I need you to commit about 20 hours a year to supervising and just seeing what they're doing. And same thing, like rotate all your patrol people in at these guys training group once a quarter right? Like, and it's not rocket science. A lot of times they do four fours or they do two eight hour days. And, and it's that simple. And, you know, a lot of times some of the larger training groups in our area will do those where we'll have some people come in and they're like, oh, I'm a new, whatever, like they're part of the FTO. They're in their part of their FTO phase. Um, and some of my departments, some of my proactive handlers have started taking some of the stuff that we do in training and making a part of the FTO phase for all of their um, new guys for all the new guys that are coming in and saying like, this is the dog this is what they do. This is what they don't do this is how, this is what I need you to do. And so it, it's, you know, and of course we have case law in there. Um, and I brush over the 1983 Monale claims like pretty quickly for the admins. And I'm like, look, <laughs> it, it, like there are cases where canine handlers have been granted qualified immunity, but The supervisors and guys there have not. And that starts to like really get the wheels rolling. And they're like, so the handler can do exactly what he was trained to do because he was trained by me like a vendor or where Josh used to work. And he was trained correctly. And but the support staff and the management and the oversight wasn't there. And then we have a failure to train problem. And so we end up prolonging engagements because we don't have those, that training. And it's, like I said earlier, it's super potent training. Like it, it works really fast and it's more than anything. Just it's not like reps and reps and reps and reps and reps and reps and reps. Mm -hmm. It's multiple reps you get to watch and then you get to interact. And then when it actually happens, it's not as such a fucking shock. Like what am I supposed to do? And so it's paid off. Um, so I like doing those because uh, one, we create new canine handlers. Uh, two, we create canine positive administrators. <laughs> and we don't create bad case law. So we get Oof. nice, clean engagements, nice, clean shit. We don't have any Rodriguez violations. Nobody's bitching about how long we were standing there. It's fucking great.
1: <laughs> what do you find uh, from the supervisors like reaching out to you or on the break? If you guys, if you've never taught at a conference or a seminar, um. Yeah, we're gonna go ahead and take a break, go to lunch. Uh, you as the instructor are probably not. Um, they come up mm-hmm. and talk to you, that, and that's cool. I no. we don't mind. No. Ted and I. Um, no. when we speak Just bring at the me a beer. conferences, when our class is done, there's a line of people waiting to talk to us. But what do you find that Is the probably the m- most common thing a supervisor said? I didn't even fucking know that.
2: Yeah. The I don't think people understand the liability that you have for not like showing your department, like, Hey, like, you know, the failure to train aspects or, or what you have, if you're assigned to be in charge of the unit with no experience in charge of all these handlers, these handlers probably know more than you. And, and the supervisor probably knows that too, but he's just doing what he's told. And these guys don't realize, like, if you, if you have a misbehaving dog or something like that, or you have an issue that this handler knows, he's like, ah, my dog isn't letting go of a bike. And he's vocalized that and they're like, okay, well, yeah, work on it and stuff. And then you go out and deploy the next day and you got a a three minute bite where you're trying to get him off and things like that. Like he vocalized that to his supervisor. He essentially asked for help. Like, and he's like, but you know, maybe he doesn't have, have the ability or the knowledge to do it. And he's asking for help. That's, that's on the supervisor to get that fixed. And then the handler to work on it as well.
1: Yeah. And they, um, Manpower shortage is not, is not an acceptable excuse uh, ever no. it it will burn you do, they don't want to hear about it they don't care. The juries don't care. The federal judges uh, do not care about deposi- your manpower I a, shortages. I read a deposition the other day <laughs> where yeah, they don't that, care
0: mm, yeah that then that, that was the excuse, and like I, I wasn't there, obviously, but you could tell from reading it that the the rest everybody in the room was like and. like literally everyone is short-staffed like i mean that doesn't mean we don't train so yeah and the
1: 16 hours a month uh is a is a suggested standard that most people go by but uh i have a we have all the time agencies that are like no he's not coming because that's not a law 16 hours is a suggestion uh it's not a law i'm like Yeah, motherfucker. What is a law? Is that you got to train your dog? Guy has to train. He has
0: to. So I always lead these classes off, especially if I have admins in there, by um, talking about. And there's a quote from I can't remember the dude's name, but he's the he was the Inspector General for the district or for the DOJ. And um, you know they say the canine handlers are disproportionately put in the highest instance of use of force of any specialized unit in military or law enforcement, which is true. I mean, when you think about it, the only reason those dogs exist is to fuck people's lives up. Well, that's not true. It's to either bite people or fuck up their fourth amendment, either with seizures or searches. And that requires a ton of training and it requires a ton of maintenance training. And then I tell them, I'm like, you do realize that canine is the only specialty in law enforcement outside of mental health, which I didn't roll my eyes for that, but just that it needs to be addressed. That is a basically a court recognizing court mandated training that is some sort of substance right like not even in fucking swat is it court mandated and now they look at it but it is a standard in and there's some other one there's a medical one somebody told me this the other day there's like three specialties in law enforcement that have those very specific standards of training and i have to go back and look at the text message of what it was but canines one of them and that's why all my canine handlers, like our national or our state agencies, uh, keep track of all that shit in the state database. And all the canine handlers routinely have like shit tons of hours of training. Like, why the fuck canine guys have so many training? I was like, because they have to train. It's a perishable skill. Like, they have to train. It is what it is. And that's something that we talk to admins a lot about. I'll and- tell you a
1: story real quick about from my career. Um, I got in 2005, right before I got to the canine unit. I had just come out of the dope unit. And was working the street and got a call and got into a fight with this naked dude uh, who was uh, died during the fight. And um, he his cause of death was ruled excited delirium. Now, in 2005, none of us in Canton, none of us in anywhere in Ohio had really heard of excited delirium. At that time, excited delirium was out in Oregon, Washington State, California. Canada was real big on it, but most of us hadn't heard of excited delirium. So we got sued. I got sued personally for $20 million. And I go to court, and the jury ruled that they ruled in our favor in that we didn't kill him, that his heart exploded. Excited delirium was the cause of death. But they also awarded him, his family, $1.8 million from the city. For failure to train. Canton V. Harris. They mentioned that in their fucking briefing. Canton V. Harris. Failure to train. Failure to train on something we had never heard of. And failure to... They said, you didn't kill him. But they didn't train you how to deal with it. And we're like, but we've never heard of it. And they're like, don't care. You didn't train for it. Canine, you have heard of every aspect of it and guys are still not going to training guys aren't showing up their departments don't send them. We don't have the manpower. It's not a law. Fuck the feds, blah, blah, blah. Whatever excuse they have for not going to training is they are Always, all of them are living on borrowed time. All of them are living on borrowed time. And, uh, so like, that's why I love to see, Agencies even around me now are bringing the street cop training guys in um, or coming to like my my e college seminar that I'm doing or going to the HRDs that Ted's at different things like that. Um, But then there's still still a lot of departments that ain't doing it. They're just they're just doing the the bare minimum possible. Um, So. Where like where are you going to be next? Where's the next one that you're teaching at?
2: My next is oh man. You put me on the spot on that one. March 13th, I believe um, in Pennsylvania. And then I believe it's March 20th in Indiana or the, the two uh, this coming month back to back.
1: Are you guys um, finding. So most of your schedule that I look up on street cop training is East coast or the, the, the East side of the Midwest. Um, Is it, expanding are you seeing requests to go further west
2: yeah um the it's kind of first come first serve i get the unfortunate thing is you know you hate telling people no or that it's already booked but i get a lot of stacked requests like like when you look on the site some of my stuff isn't posted yet cuz there's a lot of stuff that goes into the back end of it with our booking people um so there i think there's two or three classes that are sitting in the hopper right now and i'll get an email I'll be like, hey looks like you're um, September's open. I'm like, well, well, it depends when and where and things like that. So it does expand, but you know, there's only 12 months in a year. I work a full-time job uh, that does it too. And, yeah. and I'm teaching these classes and traveling, traveling the country, doing them. So it, it's kind of hard, but I'll go anywhere. We'll go anywhere. I think we've had classes in a ton of the States. Um, if it's winter, I'll definitely come to your class if it's warm. Um, <laughs> I went to Hibbing, Minnesota in January, and oh my God, those guys they told me it was going to be rough, but I did not prepare for what that was going to be um, that's I've never been that cold in my life.
1: yeah, I booked a seminar in Vancouver in December, and I was like that's that was so dumb, and actually, I got lucky. it was pretty nice when I was up there uh wasn't too bad, so where can guys find you? How can people get a hold of you?
2: Yeah, so my Instagram, for the most part, a lot of my street cop stuff. I I post all a lot of my training stuff, how I'm, how I'm doing things, or even if the guys request like, hey, I need help with my dog or help doing this, I usually just post a video on how how I do it and how I work through things or problems. Um, and that's a uh, Canine Deployed on Instagram. It's Canine spelled out C A N I N E Deployed. Um, and then I also have Josh Brainerd underscore Street Cop. Both those on Instagram, on Facebook as well. If if they're in the uh, Facebook group, I post a decent amount in there. But my most of my activity is on that Canine Deployed site.
1: Canine Deployed. If if I get on there and you don't follow me, I'm hanging up right now. <laughs> yeah, hey, I, I, I'm not, You fucker. I'll, fo- mm-hmm. I'll follow you immediately. I'll follow both Just of kidding. you. Just kidding. The uh, you I don't, follow 14 people.
2: 14. <laughs> i i'm just a poster and i get off i'm not a i'm not a uh linger if you will <laughs> on my personal one i have a lot more people that i follow uh i do my my lurking on my personal and then yeah. my uh my uh business stuff and and the postings on the other one
1: let's see those numbers. Eh, i'll follow you on there too son of
2: a bitch I just got to...
1: If I look and if I look at often, your following and you following Ted, you are you son am of I? A bitch. Yes.
2: Hey, well, he probably followed me, and I, you know, returned the favor.
0: There there don't go. do that. See, that's what happened.
2: So don't I don't, do I don't even know how many of those people follow me are bots too. Like I don't even know if they're real yeah. people. So who knows? But
1: I try to look at that stuff. But what I feel bad is I always tell people if you're a canine handler and you followed me and I didn't follow you back please let me know because those are the guys i want to follow you know what i mean yeah i don't care if they have five followers and one post i don't care i want to support the guys that are out there doing the work
2: yeah if people i mean i i don't care about followers or anything i just post my videos and things mm-hmm. like if somebody messaged me and was like hey can you follow me I'm like i don't yeah sure i don't care it like, doesn't matter yeah. to me um i just unfortunately
1: for ted and i it's kind of yeah getting followers is stupid but we have to because we have businesses that are revolve around you know social media so um ted what about you where can they find you at
0: uh ted underscore summers at uh on the instagrams and then torchlight K nine, letter k number nine is the kennel page and then working dog, working underscore dog underscore radio for the podcast. And then HRD police K9 letter K number nine for HRD. And we're going to be in uh, Fort Myers, Florida in March. And then Billings, Montana in June. And then August, we're going to be in Santa Clara, California, right after HITS, uh, which you and I are doing our stand up routine um, each at uh, HITS and uh, Blue Line this year. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> uh, that's where we can find us. Uh, what about you?
1: Uh, van SK9 on Instagram is where most things are posted. V a N E S S K nine on Instagram. Um, I got, uh, go through there. I got my e-collar without conflict seminar going on around the country. Got a bunch of places. They're all on there. I need to put those on my website, but I haven't. Uh, they're just, we just put up posters and stuff on Instagram. I'm hosting one at my facility called the fun house in May, uh, get on my thing. You'll find it there. We have, I think, three working spots left. Um, we may, we may expand it because I'll have some of my employees there to help run reps at the e-collar. But, uh, as of right now, there's three spots left uh, for the working unlimited audit spots. Um, it's going to be a good time. The, The class has been a real hit. We've uh, made a lot of progress. It was just down at Jim O'Brien's place in North Carolina. And um, so typically what happens is those guys will know I'm coming, and they are waiting to do e-collar with their dog, waiting till I get there so I can show them the right way to do it. And um, so we get a lot of brand-new people. Well, at, at Jim's place, it was great because there was 10 dogs. Seven of them started the class the day before. So I started on Tuesday. These guys met their dogs the day before. So there wasn't really much conflict to, uh, overcome. There was, I was able then to teach them, Hey, don't do this. So you don't cause conflict going forward in the future. But we just layered up the e-collar on everybody. And by the end of the class, man, we had a nice, good group walks, e-collar being used the right way. And none of the old, uh, hammer only type, type work that was typically see around the country. Um, but anyways, Van S canine, most everything i post on there goes to the facebook page so you don't have to go to the facebook page um so anyways josh i really appreciate you taking some time and and uh coming on um it is 10 o'clock on the dot for us eastern time zone folks and uh, ted is still nine o'clock where he's at he's got it made over there indeed Um, yeah so um anyways appreciate you coming on man and uh thanks for sharing your story and uh, hope we'll see you at uh, one of these things And uh, please be safe It sounds like you're uh, You know, working the streets pretty heavy
2: Yep, thanks for having me I, I appreciate it And Just like you guys, anytime we can You know, express our passions It's a good time
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, alright Uh We'll see you in the next one cool. Take care Thanks
0: You got your reasons I got my wants